Counter the latest internet sensation. Nine. We are YOLO. YOLO. Can I say hi? Hi. Seven. I think we need to stick to a plan. Six. I just got bitten by a bullet. I don't even think Five. I have to react to that one. This Four. is Triple M's Summer Breakfast. With Seb Costello and Lawrence Marty. Yesterday I saw that you had tweeted a picture that you're back in the gym. You're taking a tilt at the title. And uh, I, I've only just started to realise, Seb Costello, that you are a big fan of the fancy, which is what boxers call the boxing game. Yes. You've got boxing gloves dangling from your rearview mirror. <laughs> you uh, do, you obviously got a lot of uh, knowledge of the fight game. You're into UFC and also traditional fighting. And now you're training with a former... WBA number eight. Yes, Nick Tatoris, the terror as he was known in the day. Mm. He was a kickboxing world champ and, as you say, made the top ten in the straight boxing and uh, been going down there to his gym in Richmond for oh, about 12 months but have had a few months off. So time to get back into it after, you know, a sort of long end of football season into racing season and now it's time to just do a bit of exercise. Do a bit of shredding. Mm. Uh, so what weight division are you and what weight division should you be? Are you are you welter at the moment or light heavy? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I'm welter. Yeah, let's go with that. Welter weight, about sixty seven kilos or so. No, I might just be a few uh, a few more up the scale, but yeah, we'll, we'll wait for the weigh in, Lawrence, and then we'll see how we go. Okay. You now, but you were telling me off air. You have actually had a fight before. Yes, I uh, I went into the ring in two thousand and five because I wanted to feel what it was like uh, to. I felt what it was like to be punched in the head, ultimately. <laughs> um, and the guy, so I went to a boxing gym down in Collingwood and they organised some in-house uh, three times two-minute rounds. Mm-hmm. And I did lose on points in the end. Um, very early on in the fight, I copped one on the nose. <sighs> that was bleeding, so I had to breathe through my mouth and then got the classic punch in the side of the head that the mouth guard's gone out, <laughs> sweat, blood, and uh, it flew out of the ring and the the, the second in the other guy's corner went, return to sender, <laughs> <laughs> which is a great heckle. Uh, did you have a cornerman just telling you? I did. There comes a time in a man's life where he must step up. A former National 9 News uh, reporter, Des Dowling, was oh, really? in my corner. Yes, indeed. So, and Channel 7, of course. Yeah. And uh, great stand-up comic. Absolutely. So also I was wondering, you know, is it uh, Nine News that put you through the self-defence <laughs> course in case you have to do a doorstop one time or, you know, you come head-to-head with a CFMEU and you've got to keep that guard up? I have had milk crates thrown at me on the job, Lawrence. Right. Yeah, by uh, friends of a rather high-profile motorcycle enthusiast around this city. <laughs> but I can't imagine Des Dowling, who I uh, know a little bit, could have been that encouraging had things have been going wrong. I reckon he would have taken a little bit of joy in seeing the Moon Man get the return to sender. I can tell you one thing about Des, and that is he is an amazing boxer. Really? Yeah, he is super quick and uh, very good. Yeah, you couldn't lay a hand on Des. He's very good. Listen to us talking about boxing like we're <laughs> boxers. We're just a couple of chubby guys that love punching a bag. <laughs> Spot on. And currently police are outside a property in Doncaster Road, East Frankston, where a seed situation has been ongoing since around 5.30 last night. The man inside is wanted over the stabbing of another man at Seaford yesterday morning. Joining us from the scene, the Nine News senior journalist and Today Show reporter, Christina Hearn. Christine, are police there in big numbers? Yeah, as you can imagine, Seb. Look, we're just being kept 200 metres away, as you'd probably expect. But I can just tell you in the last couple of minutes... 
they've moved two critical incidents response uh, unit vans kind of back to back, which is blocking our view. Now, we don't know if that means that something is about to happen, but it seems like a deliberate manoeuvre. Behind that is the Special Operations Police, which came in here uh, just after five o'clock this morning in that armoured vehicle that you've probably uh, seen many times in situations like this, mm. obviously heavily armed police uh, with their face covered and guns drawn. This has been going on for a while, as you mentioned, since 5.30 last night. There are four people in the home with him. However, police tell me they're not considering this as a hostage situation. However, the longer this goes on, the more they become concerned about those people inside. But they are, of course, as they usually are in these situations, wanting to wait it out as long as possible to ensure that this siege ends peacefully. So it's uh, not a hostage situation, but there are four people in the house. I believe, Christine, that there's been a request for beer and ice, the drug ice. That's correct. He has been seen coming to the front door wielding two large knives. He's in a home, so he's, he's got access to knives and and uh, other things like that. He's uh, been heard saying to police, uh, as well as saying that he wants beer and, and, mm. and the drug ice, he's also been heard saying that they're just relaxing inside. He's not re- uh, ready to surrender. Other things he said is that he does not, he's not keen to go to jail, but we're not sure about that last request. Uh, it's a big ask, given he will be arrested, police say, uh, once this siege ends. And, Christine, just before we let you go, we read that there potentially among that group of four inside the house are a number of children. Is that the feeling at the scene? No, Seb, I have managed to speak to Victoria Police on that issue and they tell me that, no, there are no children in the home. So that is good news. Might check in with you a bit later. Christina Hearn from the Nine Network, thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. And we're just hours after the Geminid meteor shower has passed by Melbourne. Mm, 11 p.m. last night, uh, the show would have started in the northeastern skies of Melbourne. Uh, the best vantage would have been in the Dandenongs, and then apparently it was going to uh, peak at about 2 to 4 p.m. Uh, a.m. rather, when we would have been in deep sleep in preparation. Well, just before the alarm went off, actually. One triple three five three. we need some stargazers to help mm. us out here. Did you see the Geminid meteor shower? Flashes of light in the southeastern skies. We've got some Melbourne Stars family memberships to give away to our callers this morning. They're valued at $175. Oh, nice tie in there, Stars, Geminid meteor shower. So did you see the dust trail entering the, the atmosphere and burning up and, and creating what uh, our, our friend Alan yesterday referred to as a, a bunch of shooting stars, the Geminid media shower. It's blowing up Instagram, this thing. I'm reading from one Instagram who says he was laying outside under the night sky, amazingly magical. And many sharing images from the United States, the United Arab Emirates and even Egypt. Mm, and we have put a call out to, to hit us on Twitter as well. And uh, you've had some responses too. At MMM Hot Breakfast. I have had some responses, none of which I can read. Mm. But if you saw it, we'll take because your... Because co- we went, want a meteor shower. No other kind of shower. Thank, Thank you, you, Lawrence Mooney. If you saw lights above the southeastern skies of Melbourne last night, it was the rocky debris left by an object called 3200 Python. I like it when they name a meteor. 3200 Python. It sounds like an exercise machine that you buy from a morning TV show and just leave under the bed. My 3200 Python's uh, never been used. Did you see the Geminid media shower? <laughs> Brendan at Cranbourne. Did you have a look? Yeah, mate. How you guys going? Yeah, yeah tell good. us what you saw. Uh, yeah, well, I didn't actually know what I saw because I was out with a couple of mates last night and with uh, 
we'd been out walking from the pub to home and we were arguing, saying, thinking we were seeing things. And, yeah, it, it turns out that this must have been what we saw. So you guys have kind of clarified it for me. So long streaks in the sky, were they? Or what did you yeah, see exactly? Just looked like a couple of shooting stars. Like, we didn't think we saw that many, but it was just like a, there was a whitish blue pin shoot to the sky. And were you thinking to yourself, Brendan, just how many pots did I have this evening? That's exactly what we were thinking. <laughs> <laughs> we, that's why a bit of, bit of an argument saying people thinking we were seeing things, but no, it was, uh, it was pretty interesting. Now, does this mean that you won the argument or lost it? No, it means I won it. I wasn't seeing things. Hey, very nice work, mate. Dale in the Yarra Valley, did you take a look at the Geminid meteor shower? Hey, fellas, I um, heard about it uh, yesterday on your guys' show, mm. and um, so I was still up at about 11.30 uh, last night, and I went out and had a look. I'm nice, clear skies, no light pollution, and um, yeah, nothing. So I set the alarm for about 2.30. I went out there, and um, it was a bit hazy. Didn't see nothing. So disappointed. Oh. Bloody NASA. They've been making things up since the late 60s, that organisation. Maybe. We've got us again. <laughs> <laughs> Did man really land on the moon? Frank from Croydon, did you have a look last night? I'm actually in Murrubark, but close enough. Oh, yeah, well, you yeah. know, on the, on the uh, Lilydale line. Yeah, g'day, Seven and Lawrence. Yeah, I don't know how the guy um, from Warburton didn't see. He should have just been a bit more patient and had a look. Cause I went out about 10 o'clock, and I saw a couple, and I thought, I'll, I'll go out. I'll go back out later, because like the guy said, they said about 2 o'clock, but mm. I also heard conflicting advice saying 5 o'clock is the actual ultimate time. Anyway, I'm going back inside. Gone on the Twitter to a Canadian friend, told her, ah, oh, I've seen it, because she was complaining that she didn't see it over there. Yep. Yeah, and anyway, all the hype. And then when I went outside, yeah, same again, all clouds, but I, did, I saw the, the start of it. So. Right, before it uh, clouded over last night. Well, at least you got a little bit of uh, geminid. Frank, thanks for giving us a call. On you, Frankie. Good on you, mate. And at least you're able to share it with a friend of yours on the other side of the world in Canada. There you go. So it did happen, Lawrence. It did happen. We missed the whole thing. But there are some beautiful shots online that uh, people have put up too. Uh, yeah, get on the Instagram and Twitter. You can check that out. At Mooney Ponds last night, the Bombers got a new president. Yes, we're going to have uh, Lindsay Tanner, former Mel member for Melbourne. Many, many years uh, held the seat of Melbourne and uh, finance minister in the Labor government. And now he's going to steer the Bombers to what we hope will be a success after three seasons of pain under the cloud of the supplement scandal, and we're still waiting for that to play out completely. A Geminid meteor shower of success is coming to Tullamarine. <laughs> it's led by John Worsfold, and it's led by Lindsay Tanner. But he's had a few interesting opening remarks. It gets all very, well, presidential, these sort of positions, doesn't mm. it? And he's made the declaration that Joe Watson should keep his brown low. Well said, Lindsay Tanner. And also that James Hurd should come back into the fold at Eston as one of the greats of the club. Couldn't agree more. I think that uh, James should probably stay away from the club for a while. I think uh, that uh, a period of of uh, not exile or divorce, but just a cooling off period to give it a little bit of space and let the new administration and the new coach bed in. I think there's been too much disruption down there, too much uh, you know, pain really, and uh, I think it'd be good for James to walk away, especially because he walks away with 1.75 million of the club's money. Can't be permanent though. I mean, you look at the honour boards, and there he is with best no, and fairest with Brownlow's premiership. Three captains. generations, you know, he's a favourite son, and that's why it's been a very vexed and difficult situation for everyone concerned with the club to have to make a decision on whether they're pro James or anti James, and we shouldn't have to be in that situation. Mm. For Paul Little, two and a half years of the 
basically the toughest position in football, and he's done a good job. He's straightened up the ship a little bit, and mm. now we can be in a position where you tear off the new page with Lindsay Tanner and with John Worsfold. And there's a little thing called the CAS, I know, that's coming. But, uh, look, it's looking a lot more positive yeah, I was going than it has. to say there is a yes but. Mm. I'm going to yes but you there. There's still a decision to be made uh, and a ruling to be brought down. So there might still be suspensions uh, and then the contentious argument over whether Joe Watson should retain or lose his Brownlow medal. Yeah. Mm. Nice banjo. Up. To win the premiership flag. This could go on all morning, Lawrence, but we for could the sake just sing of people, this over and over again. <laughs> Barrick for the other uh, dozen or so teams, we uh, probably shouldn't. But last night, the Essendon AGM, it's on the back of both the papers in town this morning that the transition has been made. Paul Little stepping aside, as he'd already alluded to, and the former Federal Finance Minister and Labor member for Melbourne taking over the reins as the chairman of the Essendon Football Club. It's very exciting times. Uh, we're in a pre-season mode now. We've got a new coach. Uh, Woosher has also been joined by Guy McKenna. And now we've got a new president. Also, uh, news that Ken Lay will be on the board. So a clean sweep down at Essendon and uh, two little bombers here with their red and black hearts beating optimistically. Ken Lay is the fix-it man for all... Corporate governance and public administration at the moment. He's on the AMBOS board chairing up mm. that, of course, the Prime Minister's Ice Task Force, domestic violence. So to have a man of that calibre on the Essendon board. Do you think it's a coincidence that he's on the Ice Task Force and he's been asked to get on the board at Essendon? And... None of that, Lawrence. No, we don't need okay. to go there. But we read this morning of how... Lindsay Tanner fell in love with the football club. Wasn't an Essendon supporter, but his dad took him to training one night and a former committeeman asked him to help pick up the footballs. It got him into the rooms and he saw Jack Clark, Kenny Fraser, Barry Davis, all those mm. legends. And as an eight-year-old, that's what converted into the red and black. It's always interesting to know, you know, what is the moment, the seminal moment where you embrace the colours of a team. Uh, it's... For me, it was uh, an Ampole service station at the age of five. They had a promotion up and you buy some petrol. Which one do you want, Lawrence? And I pointed straight to Barry Davis wearing the red and black. And it's just something inside you, the colour of your football club, that big red sash. Uh, you know, I've never been able to to think of red and black any other way. And what about you? It's a, it's a family tradition. Family tradition. No, my grandfather, Russell, grew up in the Ascot Vale area. Jimmy, sorry, Dickie Reynolds was the local delivery boy for one of the businesses out right. there. So he would come into the Costello house and, you know, how are you feeling, Dick? Oh, good. You know, we're going to win this week. So mm. that was passed down to my dad. And then my first football game I can remember is the shootout. From 1993, Ablett 14 salmon. at one end, Salmon 10 the other end. And I came away as a six-year-old saying, how good's footy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Two blokes kick 24 goals. Does that happen every week? What an amazing game. But the headline on the back of the newspaper, Job Drug Call. And it's Michael Warner writing in the Herald Sun about some of the opening statements from Lindsay Tanner. And the headline refers to Tanner's firm view that Job Watson should keep his brown low, even if the Court of Arbitration for Sport were to find in favour of WADA. And where do we stand on that? Seb, what do you think? Because I, I, uh, okay, let me, I want to find out what you think before I railroad you with my thoughts and opinions. Well, Joe Watson worked his ass off to win that Brownlow medal. He yep. trained, he lost a heck of a lot of weight. He did it all himself. And if anybody 
wants to call Joe Watson a cheat, I will call them out quicker than you can click your fingers. Not only that, I don't think Sam Mitchell and Trent Cotchin, who finished second in 2012, would want to accept a Brownlow medal in these circumstances. They've seen what Job and the playing group has gone through, and, and they wouldn't want, I think, to make what is a difficult situation even worse. To play devil's advocate, if he took a banned substance, why wouldn't you take the top honour in the game off him? I mean, it might be a long bow to draw, but let's draw a parallel between him and Lance Armstrong, just for a moment. One triple three five three. What do you think? Should Joe Watson keep his brown low regardless of what happens? We've got tickets to the Tab Corporate Box to give away for Boxing Day, the 26th of December. It's a difficult one because obviously, you know, he's a favourite son and he's the son of a favourite son. There's a lot of emotion tied up in it for Essendon supporters. I would hate to see it happen, but if we're going to play to the letter, letter of the law then maybe it's what needs to happen. One triple three five three. give us a call. Part of the transition was Paul Little walking away from the Essendon Football Club after two and a half years in charge. And the CEO, Xavier Campbell, paid tribute to him on Nine News last night. Paul's done an you know, incredible job under, as you mentioned, really challenging circumstances, you know, complex issues that have had to be you know, dealt with. And you know, Paul loves the football club. He's very passionate about the football club. And, and I certainly think Paul's left it in a better place um, than he found it. And we'll have the new president or chairman, Lindsay Tanner, on the program just after 8.30. Lindsay Tanner, the incoming president of Essendon, says Joe Watson should keep his Brownlow medal regardless of the Court of Arbitration for Sport finding. I agree with him. Dan is on the line from Windsor. Dan, should Joe Watson keep his Brownlow regardless? Uh, definitely. Good morning, Seb and Lawrence. I think you guys are fantastic. A very passionate Essendon supporter. Good on um, you, Dan. Uh, it's a pleasure. I just wanted to let you, I'll pose a question to you guys this morning, that if uh, if Job, being a pillar of society, I think in football, and mm. also an example to all, I've met the guy and he's absolutely brilliant, mm. if he's under investigation or there's a question out there, why not pose the same question of the uh, West Coast Eagles Football Club in the 2000s in their premiership years, where Ben Cousins, who was taking illegal drugs at the time, it's been alleged, um, is not under investigation, and also in their premiership year, apparently there was a culture there of drug taking. Mm. So I, I just see it as uh, a little bit ironic. But also um, the Geelong Football Club in the 2000s as well had Stephen Danks and the mm. Weapon on their in, in their uh, employ, uh, looking after. So the you're suggesting a bit of guilt by association there, Dan? For oh, on, on the West Coast. Um, subject it was anecdotal and, and I suppose the Essendon thing has been formalized by their self-declaration and a long long uh, investigation that they were cleared of by Asada but then WADA took over. But Dan makes a good point because Ben Cousins did write about this at length in his book that this sort of stuff was happening. Mm. The exact timing of it, whether it coincided with his Brownlow year or not, I can't quite recall. But thanks for your call Dan. At Croydon, James what do you think about Joe Watson's Brownlow? I, I think that Everything that's gone on that, that he shouldn't probably have it, to be honest. Like, if he's found guilty, he's guilty and he shouldn't have it. He cheated and it's found guilty. Well, then, yeah. Who's your team, James? I'll go for Hawthorne. Okay. Thanks for your call and a legitimate... <laughs> no, <laughs> Who no, do you I'm go not... for? Hawthorne. <laughs> Boom. No, Thanks I'm for your call. I'm not cutting him off like that. <laughs> Absolutely legitimate viewpoint. And you were arguing it as a devil's advocate before. So good on say, you, James. And your football club is amazing. And we're all jealous of what they've achieved. Yeah. And uh, I think that James makes the point there that, you know, guilty is guilty. And I know Job and he's a tremendous ornament to the game and a fine fellow. But I guess it's... In in white, black and white. 
Tony, Clyde North, what do you think? Yeah, mate, uh, I reckon if he's been found guilty, he'd probably have to lose it. But being the guy that he is, he'll probably go and give it to Sam, give it to Sam anyway. You know, he seems like he's that type of bloke. He, no, you wouldn't find a more decent young man. I say young man because in terms of the football industry, he is. We're about the mm. same age, Joe Benight. He's just a far better footballer. Uh, but he is just a quality person. And it would be, you know, a really sad situation, which is why this is such a difficult question. Mm. To Carnegie and Andrew. Yeah, I completely agree with the last call. He's got to lose it for the reason every other person in this saga has been punished now. James ducked and weaved for years. We finally got him. The players have to be punished for no other reason than every person that's been caught with drugs in Olympics and weightlifting and bicycles say, oh, I didn't know what I was taking. The coach told me to do it. They're adults. They're responsible for what goes in their body. I'm on my way to work. If the boss pulls me aside and says, mate, we need you to fire up, we're going to send you across the road and, and jab you with needles for a few weeks and you're going to be a better worker. Uh, does anybody, you know, the light bulb go off in the head and go, gee, that could be wrong. No, you're not supposed to take banned substances. Yeah, he's I, got to be called out. I think uh, responsibility is, you know, up to the individual too, Andrew. And in in Job's defence, he hasn't been ducking and weaving. He's declared himself every step of the way. He admitted that he'd taken um, the the particular drug. So he he's been on the front foot the whole way. And so maybe in a way, he'll be punished for his honesty. To wind it up, Dave at Warrior Alec, what do you think? It's a real tough one because I think, I think everyone's a Joe Watson fan. Spot on. Um, but at the end of the day, I, I sort of sum it up. And I, I look back years ago, and, and you look, everyone's a Shane Warne fan. And we all remember when he took that aspirin or something that, that his mum gave him. The diuretic, yeah. Um, and at the end of the day, he had to cop his whack, you know. Um, it's a real tough one. Um, but, yeah, unfortunately, if found guilty, I, I really do think, yeah, you, you've got to be... Um, You've got to cop your whack, unfortunately. And, and yeah, it's a shame because, like, at the end of the day, I'd, I'd personally would think Jade Watson has never wanted to cheat. But mm. um, there's also X amount of other AFL players out there that um, have been unfairly, uh, you know, it's unfair on them. If, if he gets away with it. That's Dave, right. Thanks for if, your uh, call. If there's players out there that have taken no substances, you've got to think about them too because... Uh, Obviously, these things are available. And I think that the caller that Andrew, who said, you know, if your employer calls you across the road to take a series of needles, it's got to set off an alarm bell, doesn't it? We checked in earlier with the siege situation at Frankston. Police had sent the special operations group. They'd also sent critical incident response teams for a man who was holed up inside a property, potentially with four other people inside, and that man suspected of being involved in a stabbing at Seaford yesterday. There's been a development down there at Frankston. Christina Hearn, the senior journalist from the Nine Network and Today Show reporter, joins us live from the scene. Christine, what's happened? Well, Seb, what I can tell you, just in the last couple of minutes, uh, as this siege just went over 13 hours, we heard a dozen or so shots ring out. We are obviously 200 metres away from the scene, well in, uh, to safety, as you can imagine. But then, uh, yeah, we heard these dozen or shots uh, ring out and uh, the Special Operations Group, Special Operations... Uh, I've, I've got to go, Seb, I'll... I'll call you back. Christina Hearn there, live from the scene of the Frankston siege. As you just heard, a dozen shots fired. Our understanding is the man inside the property doesn't have firearms. 
So make what assumptions you will out of that. She had to go away, presumably because there has been another major development as this situation unfolds by the second. So we'll try and speak to Christine again as soon as we can and keep you updated on the siege in East Frankston. There a were man a man in his 40s inside the home. Here's what we know. He's got a number of knives. He's been requesting alcohol and drugs. This siege has been going for almost 13 hours now. Mm -hmm. At one stage, it was thought that there were children inside the home. We were able to discount that, according to Christina Hearn. There are four people, though, along with the man who police are looking for in relation to a stabbing at Seaford yesterday. And the latest development is uh, around about a dozen shots have rung out. So we don't know whether they're from a firearm or whether it's uh, something else. What's, there's a dozen shots uh, where the police have fired them. The situation is unclear. Fair bit happening around town. So a just lot want to happening. take a moment to bring you up to speed. Just before the news, we were speaking to Christina Hearn, who was down at Frankston, the scene of that siege that had been going into its 14th hour. A man was inside. He was suspected of being involved in a stabbing yesterday morning. Police moved in the special operations group and also the critical incident response teams. As we were speaking to Christina Hearn, around a dozen shots were heard and we can now tell you that a man in his mid-40s has been taken away via ambulance. That's right. We saw uh, an image of a man on a gurney being put into the back of an ambulance, so it appears that that siege in Frankston may have come to an end. But that's not the only thing happening in Melbourne. There's a lot of police activity in the Ringwood, Heatherdale area. Seth. Certainly is. And we're just having a look at some tweets going in from Cam Sultan. Police operation closes the Metro train station car park at Heatherdale. It's only just reopened. We understand that there is also a separate police operation involving outlaw motorcycle groups around Melbourne in the Ringwood and Heatherdale area. I can't tell you exactly which organisations are involved, but I can tell you that back in June, there was another raid outside the Finks Bikey Gang Clubhouse, which is also in Ringwood. We're yet to establish whether it's in fact the same property this time around, but those raids are ongoing and we'll be seeking more information from the police as the morning goes on. So we'll uh, bring news of what happened at the Frankston Siege to you and also those police raids in Ringwood and Heatherdale. This is really exciting, Lawrence. We have in the studio with us two of the stars of the inaugural Women's mm. Big Bash League, Danny White from the Renegades and Meg Lanning from the Melbourne Stars. Thanks for joining us. Meg, no massive year for you. Uh, we won the Ashes. You led the team. Uh, how does that feel? And, and, and coming off the back of that to, you know, have that recognition of women's cricket in Australia. Yeah, it's fantastic. I think it's been a, a great year for women's sport in general um, and topped off by uh, the Southern Stars winning the Ashes, which was fantastic. Yep. So, um, yeah, we've had a very successful little period and, and women's cricket's uh, improving on and off the field all the time and um, another exciting summer coming up with the WBBL being introduced. And, Danny, you are one of the big-name imports of the WBBL, obviously an English woman. Yeah, I'm from Stoke-on-Trent. And did they tell you that when you were coming to Melbourne, you'd be part of the second-rate franchise in town? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was all about the Renegades. Oh, come on. Well, the Renegades <laughs> the Renegades had their launch last night. How did it go? Did you yeah. keep yourself tidy? Yeah, it was a really good night. I was in bed by 11, but Molly Strano outside looking a bit rough. Is <laughs> <laughs> that teammate of yours? We can see her through the glass. She's sprawled she, out on one of our yeah, couches. She's, she's begging our producers the for a, Yeah, she wants a Powerade. She wants a couple of... Panadol. And I hope those bruises around her knees came from practising cricket and not from falling down last night. Exactly. A few wayward ones. Now, we've established you two have a similar background. This is Danny mm. and the Moon Man. 
Yes, uh, well, we're both born of English parents around about the same uh, area, but uh, we share a birthday as well. We're the Do same. We? You didn't sell me Twenty second of April. Oh wow! Yeah. My how old da- are you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Somewhat older than you. I'm calling for a DNA test here. <laughs> There's something strange going on. Now uh, you're an off you're an off spin bowler. Mm. Uh, who's your offy hero of all time? Uh, Molly Strawn. <laughs> <No. laughs> um, Graham Swan. I like to talk to Graham Swan. Right. Done a few um, sessions with Graham. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So, is there a, a nice reciprocation between the the men and the women in um, England? Yeah, we train with them a little bit. Uh, mainly fitness sessions, not cricket, because they're too quick for us. Right. Mm. It would certainly make your match hardened if you were just facing <laughs> yeah, you know, their quicks in the net. <laughs> Probably wouldn't be sat here now. And Meg, the stars are looking good. They're sitting in third at two and two. Hobart the team to beat, though. But uh, obviously you guys are looking to maybe knock them off in the coming weeks. Yeah, absolutely. We've got a big weekend coming up. We've got a couple of games up against the Sydney Sixers uh, in Jermoyne in Sydney and then uh, Hobart to finish off on Sunday. So um, it's a very even competition. So many teams are beating each other and um, it's very hard to to pick who's going to sort of finish in the top four, which is great. Um, But yeah, we're looking forward to the weekend coming up. Just to come back to the Ashes Tour though, because I love the way they did that. Correct me if I'm wrong, but essentially each form of the game all went into the one title, if you like. The Ashes was one across the three forms. Does that sort of keep you a more versatile sports person? Yeah, absolutely. I think the format's great. Um, you know, obviously we don't play a lot of test matches, so it's difficult to just play the Ashes um, off that one test match. So I think it sort of incorporates all the, the formats of the women's game. Um, and yeah, as I said, I think the, the format's really, really good. Um, and it, you know, really means you need to be consistent over the, the whole uh, tour, which um, is important as well. So I think it's worked out really well. I can top your uh, liver puddly and bond here because, Meg, really? you're a Kerry girl, aren't you? I am, yes. Yes. Right. Good school. <laughs> a Kerry Baptist Grammar School. Did they? When, when did you graduate? Oh, uh, nine, I finished. Oh, so oh, do you guys want to sing a hymn now or <laughs> say the prayer? I was going to say, my legend surely would have still permeating around 2009. <laughs> I hope. We can if you like. Lawrence, would you like that? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> now, obviously, the WBBL has got uh, wide recognition and respect worldwide because you're not the only international player here. Uh, what, what attracted you to the, to the league? What well, I've, you just, I've been playing for Victoria in the WNCL and um, the Renegades um, offered me a contract. And mm. I've heard the Renegades are the the best Second team best to go to in Melbourne. In so. yep. <laughs> well, they're red and black, so we love those um, colours. Good point. Yeah, it's been great fun. Yeah. Apart from the two losses last weekend, but we won't now, talk I couldn't about help that. but notice there seems to be a few spare jerseys there, uh, Danny. Uh... Yeah, this is for Lawrence, actually, not you. Ah, oh, yeah. <laughs> I do. Don't worry, Sam. I've got, I've got one for you. Oh, for, on your the bank. stars that's on the good the team, way. so you're right. Those, those ones are a bit more expensive because there's more demand for the stars <laughs> top, so that's fantastic. No. So later on in the summer, you'll be going, who are those two drunk guys in the outer? <laughs> <laughs> Go to the stars. You're beauty. Meg Lanning and Danny Wyatt, an absolute pleasure. Pleasure to have you in the studio. Thanks for having us. Have a great summer. Get on the Women's Big Bash League and get a few lattes into your teammate out here too. (laughs) He is one of the biggest names in global comedy. Jim Jeffries is an Aussie and he's selling out venues all over the world, heading our way in April next year at Margaret Court. And he joins us on the line. G'day, Jim. G'day, guys. Mate, I'll start with your Twitter account. It says, boxing is better, your last tweet, and I can only imagine you were watching Conor McGregor and Jose Aldo about 48 hours ago. Yeah, for 13 seconds I was watching it, sure. I just don't get what people are into it for. 
I'm up for fair boxing. I like parameters. I like the whole idea of having, you know, you can't kick someone. I think it's good. <laughs> like, if you, if you, you know, if you're playing soccer and you could just pick the ball up and run with it, it would be rubbish. I just hate this no rules and then the guy falls to the ground and start punching him in the face. No, I can't stand the UFC. I'm, 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 I'm fairly good friends with Joe Rogan, so I don't mention it around him. <laughs> Jim, uh, you have gone from strength to strength overseas And now you've got a huge following here um, It must be gratifying to, to come home and play to s- sell out crowds uh, Yeah, of course it is It took, it took a while mm. <clears throat> um, But yes, it, uh, it is gratifying Yeah, it really is Because I always used to think that I'd never make it in Australia Because I never really started out there And I was never on Australian TV And Yep. You know, I, I never did like the Melbourne Comedy Festival or anything like that, so I, I thought it, it wouldn't happen for me over there. But uh, I'm glad. I, I'm glad I've uh, I've got an audience there now. I mean, my mum's more happy about that than anybody really. You know, I get to visit her once a year. On, uh, I just want to talk about your mum for a while because this is my way of tying my wagon to your star. Uh, I shared a, a car ride home from the Central Coast with you and your parents back in the early two thousands, and uh, we were. I don't know whether you remember that. I certainly do fondly. But um, you were swearing in the car, and your mum kept saying, "Stop swearing, Jim." Clearly, you haven't stopped swearing. <laughs> I, I forgot all about that. Yes, I do remember that now. Holy hell! Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did a gig up in the Central Coast. Yeah, no, I still swear, but <laughs> but you know, my parents don't mind as much now. Now that I've got money, they're all right with it. Poor, <laughs> they didn't like the swearing. <laughs> well, yeah, when you're swearing and you're poor, it's just poor form, but. Um, and back on your crowd, they're a very particular kind of audience too. They're kind of rabid like like a, a soccer um, crowd. They love you and kind of barrack for you. Yeah, I, 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 the audience has changed ever so slightly in the last sort of six months because of the gun control routine. Yep. Um, I, did a, I did a routine on gun control here in America and it got on a few news networks and then it sort of went viral. And so now people... Uh, People come to me because they think I'm going to do some political satire or something like that. I think I do about 20 minutes on pooing in the new routine. Right. So I feel I might be a letdown for a few people who really enjoyed the uh, <laughs> the gun bit. The gun but, control uh, bit was amazing. Yeah, no, no. Thank you. A lot of people in America got really angry at me, and probably because, you know, some of the statistics I made up in that routine, <laughs> people forget that it's entertainment. But uh, <laughs> that's, that's right. I'm say 80% more likely to get shot by a gun if you don't have one. I don't know. It sounds about right. Maybe. I reckon it sounds about right, too. And, you know, people do have to remember it is a comedy routine and not a TED talk. Is there is there more poo in this show because you've got a new child? Well, he's not that new anymore. He's just actually, he's three now. He's right. Just, on his pants, and it's been a, it's been a good uh, couple of months. Been very happy with that. Um, but no, there's a little bit of that. There's a little bit of stuff like that. Not much. The show goes for about two hours, so ten to twenty minutes worth of poo jokes. That's not too much. And Jim, you're heading our way, April 27. People can get on ticketech.com.au to check you out. What can they expect besides twenty minutes of poo jokes? <laughs> uh, well, the thing is, I haven't written the show yet. You know, I've only written half of it. At the moment, I've got a couple of new stories and a little bit of social commentary and a little bit of stuff on religion, but half of it hasn't been written yet, you know. I'm still about to record in March, I'm about to record um, the material that I did in Australia last year to record a new special here in America. So once I record that, um, then I'll be off with the new material. So, look, your guess is as good as mine. I don't know what the show's about yet. <laughs> 
Well, uh, I'll say to your fans, Jim, uh, tickets are available at tickettech.com.au. You've sold out shows in Sydney already, and this Melbourne show is probably going to sell out as well. So get in if you want to see Jim Jeffries April 27th next year. Lovely talking to you, Jim. Thanks, Wade. Serena Williams, yesterday in her own charity fun run in <laughs> South Beach, Florida. Love this story. Takes off at the start line for mm. the five-kilometre live ultimate run event. To lead the crowd to raise money for her charity. Is snapped halfway through, ducking into a taxi <laughs> and taking a taxi the rest of the way to the finish line. Like Oscar Madison from The Odd Couple, couldn't quite uh, be bothered finishing the five-kilometre run that she set up for her own charity. Uh, of course, she could have claimed injury. She could have said, I've pulled a hamstring, I've done a quad, got a bit of a tweak in the Achilles. But no, she just went, I didn't finish. <laughs> she owned up to this, actually, in a video posted on her Facebook page. There's a bit of noise because she's standing at the finish line as she does it selfie style. I'm at the finish line. I didn't run the whole way this year, but next year will. No, you didn't, Serena. She's the world number one. And obviously someone at Tennis Australia thinks it's a bad look because I go to the Herald Sun today on page two who say a Tennis Australia spokeswoman last night when told the shortcut was captured by a photographer at the race responded with, oh, no. <laughs> Quote, unquote, four letters. Oh, oh no. That is... That is a great quote. Uh, but it's not the first. Look, isn't what matters here the fact that Serena Williams was raising money for charity? The Serena Williams Fund, which goes to build mm. schools in Africa, also supports UNICEF and reducing violence in impoverished communities. And she wouldn't be the first person to cheat in the name of charity. Oh, what? that sounds like a bit of a confession coming up, Seb Costello. <laughs> well, She's not the uh, first person to cheat in the name of charity um, because it's it's a means to an end. It's for the greater good. Greater good. And I'm just saying I may have put a little mayonnaise on the number of books I read <laughs> during the MS Readathon in 1997. Really? But we raised more money that way by saying that I'd read about seven or eight of the R.L. Stein mm. Goosebumps series, whereas it was probably closer <laughs> oh to three. Oh, my God. <laughs> Goosebumps. Um, and so I'm sure the people that sponsored you didn't mind the fact that you probably, you know, brightened up the figures a little bit. Well, I know my mum's listening. She'll probably want some of the money back that she donated per book back I'm in 1997. Sure Tanya will be very fine with the money going to MS. <laughs> a friend of mine... Uh, also cheated for charity. Mm -hmm. uh, a friend. A good, a close friend was How meant close? to be do, doing the 48-hour famine <laughs> and may have decided to knock over a sausage roll <laughs> about hour 37. But for the good of Africa... <laughs> Eat so they may eat. Um, oh, I know barley sugars is on the list. I'm not sure the sausage roll is allowed during the 40-hour famine. No, that's right. It's a 40-hour famine. Uh, <laughs> One triple three five three confession time. Have you ever cheated in the name of charity? to improve the position of the charity. We got some tickets to Jim Jefferies to give away live on his 2016 Australian tour. That's at the Margaret Court Arena in April 27 of next year, 13353. Done a Serena Williams, <laughs> done two kilometres of that 5K fun run and then got into a cab. You know what would have really hurt? Venus did finish the race. <laughs> so big, really? big sister got it done. Yep. Oh, I didn't realise that they were both right. Wow, that is... But, you know, for the greater good, have you cheated for charity? 
Serena Williams cheated in her own charity <laughs> fun run in South Beach, Florida. But it's okay, it's for a cause. Confession time. Nick at Healesville, when have you cheated for charity? G'day, Seb and Moo Man. Merry Hello. Christmas to you guys. Thank you, mate. Um, I did Movember a couple of years ago. I was a little bit younger in those days. Mm. And um, I pretty much started the the moustache in about July. (laughs) I sympathise with you, Nick, because it takes me a long time to grow a moustache, and if you're going to properly support the cause, who cares if you spend a few extra hairy weeks? Well, I've I've got no issues now. I'm a little bit older, but back in those days, you know, social media, I wanted to get... Get it out there that I could grow a decent moustache. Exactly. Good I want to get some and, likes going. And thanks for calling in to say that you're fully in the bloom of puberty. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> At Ararat, we got Rocket. What can you are, add boys? to this discussion of charity cheating? How are you, boys? Good. Rocket, what did you do? Uh, it was actually me, but I witnessed a similar thing to Serena. Um, I'm Ararat now. We used to be up at Wallen. We're at the pub there one day in uh, Michael Long. He's doing a big walk from Melbourne to Canberra for something. I don't know exactly what it was for. Mm-hmm. Ex-footballer, and um, they pulled up in a black BMW just outside of Wallen, walked about a K to the pub, had their meal, did their photo shoot. When everyone gone, they jumped back in the black Beamer and took off to the next town. The long walk, Michael Long wasn't walking all the way, alleges Rocket from Ararat. That's explosive stuff. <laughs> That's explosive stuff, Longy. Oh, well, let's go to Kathy at Brighton. Kathy, charity cheating, what's your story? Look, I'm a little bit embarrassed, but the Mother's Day Classic a couple of years ago did half a lap, thought, no, there's too many people. So there's a nice coffee shop just not far from the can, and, um, yeah, partook in a couple of coffees. Just, just on Domain Road there, went into the yeah. bakery. Beautiful. Yep. Yep. It was very nice. It was it nice is. to see all the people outside walking past. It was, well, it's Mother's know. Day and you deserve a coffee, don't you? Well, I had my children with me, so yeah. I thought so. <laughs> that sounds like a classic Mother's Day to me, Cathy. Good on you. And Shane at Dandenong, charity cheating. How can you contribute to this discussion? Morning, gentlemen. Back in the mid-'80s, I did an event called the Kidney Caper, which was a charity bash. And on one particular day, we had an economy run. So start the morning with a full tank of fuel, go to lunchtime. You weren't allowed to stop and refuel. I was driving a mini moke, and my navigator, because the fuel tank was there right beside him, just sort of snuck around into the back seat, grabbed the jerry can, filled the the fuel tank up, put the cap back on, and people just could not believe the mileage we got out of that little thing. But we, we played by the rules. We didn't stop. We didn't but stop. we did fill up. That is fantastic, Shane. And mm. that is a very economical vehicle right there. But it all raised money for kidney research, presumably. It did. Yeah, well, good on you, Shane. I reckon that's, uh, that's just as good as Serena Williams. I'm learning a lot about the charities out there. <laughs> that there's people willing to uh, cross the moral line. For charity. For the greater good. For the greater good. That's what it's all about. The last we crossed down to Frankston was with Christina Hearn from the Today Show. As we were talking, there'd been bangs heard in the street and Christine had to go in a bit of a hurry. There's been a resolution and some developments down there. So to once again check in with the siege that was unfolding in Frankston, police with the Special Operations Group and also the Critical Incident Response Team responding to a man in a home with knives. We go to Andrew Nelson from the Nine News team. Andrew, I understand police have moved. Morning, Serb. Yes, a very dramatic resolution to this siege. Came about quarter past seven this morning, as you mentioned. Uh, Christine would have mentioned the shots that were heard in total, about a dozen 
uh, Special Operations Group and the Critical Incident Response Team had to move in. There was a decision made uh, strategically and both for a safety uh, safety point of view as well. They had to move at that particular time. Of course, they've gone in, they've fired a number of rounds. Uh, mm-hmm. A dozen we heard, uh, and we understand that several have penetrated the stomach of the suspect who has since been taken by the air ambulance to uh, the Alfred Hospital. We're not in- entirely sure on his condition at the moment. We, do, but we have heard it's critical, but we're still waiting to hear more on that. Uh, we do understand, Seb, as well, there was a woman in her 30s also in that same house who has received some injuries, possibly from the gunfire that had exchanged about quarter past seven. So a dramatic resolution. The Bearcat, the Special Operations Group, have all moved out, all with their guns drawn. Uh, and, of course, it seems to have been peacefully resolved, well, as peaceful as, as mm. you can get at this point, guys. Andrew, uh, do we know whether he uh, approached police, he was armed with knives, or whether they just decided to storm the house? It was, uh, there, there was very little build-up to this particular moment, uh, and that was probably what caught us all by surprise. All of a sudden, a dozen shots rang out. So it, it, it seems to be that, given it was a 14-hour siege, maybe this was the time police thought it, it had, to, had to end now, it had to be resolved now. Um, in terms of why they chose that particular time, we're not sure whether there were some new threats made against the officers who were trying to negotiate with him. Uh, that's all going to be coming out shortly when uh, police hold a media conference here in Frankston. But uh, it was a very dramatic ending, uh, as we heard and as we saw. Uh, this uh, suspect was bleeding profusely from his stomach as he was actually led out by paramedics into the back of an ambulance. He's been taken away to the Alfred, another woman also injured. There were also, we understand, at least one person taken away in handcuffs. Now, what exactly that man's connection is to the suspect that received the, uh, the wounds this morning and the, uh, the end of the siege, we don't know, but certainly that's going to form a large part of this uh, investigation. We'll see those dramatic pictures on your report at 6pm on the Nine News. Andrew Nelson, thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Have a listen to it. And the reason we're playing that is because last night the Essendon Football Club officially made the transition from Paul Little to Lindsay Tanner as the new chairman of the Bombers. And Mr Tanner joins us on the line. Congratulations, Lindsay. Thanks very much, Sense. You're lucky I didn't start singing along. <laughs> now, you've disappointed me a little bit. You are the man who is bringing regeneration to this club, but you have said that unlike some other former politicians turned football club presidents, you quote-unquote won't be wearing a red and black striped jacket to, to Eston Victories. No, my wife doesn't think much of my fashion sense, but at least <laughs> I draw the line at that. <laughs> Lindsay, uh, the new, well, chairman down at Essendon, we could, don't call them the president. What is the first uh, point of business for you? I think just to focus on regenerating the club as an organisation. We've taken a battering over the last three years or mm. so. That's pretty obvious. And that means that there's a, a few things around the place that we need to attend to, we need to focus on and improve, that inevitably we just weren't able to deal with. And just trying to deliver more for members. Our members have been incredibly loyal and steadfast over those two or three years. Uh, I think it's important that we as a club try to deliver more in return for their membership fees than we do. Uh, And finally, to provide more support for our players. So they're the priorities and... I'll be hitting the ground running. I'm meeting with staff this morning. I'm meeting with the executive, and we got a lot to do. It still hasn't quite finished the supplement saga. There's still one little chapter to go, isn't there? That's right, and uh, it's possible it might end up being not so, quite so little, unfortunately. Yes. We, all kinds of 
possibilities may emerge from this. Obviously, we believe that the, the appeal should be dismissed. We are hopeful that will be the case, uh, but we don't control these processes and we just have to live with whatever the outcome is and keep pressing forward and moving into the new era that we hope and believe will deliver success for the Essendon Football Club. Lindsay, we read this morning how you came to the Red and Black as an eight-year-old down there in the dual premiership era of the 60s under Jack Clark at training at Windy Hill, picking up the footies. You're a passionate bomber man, and that's no doubt part of your passion plea today for Joe Watson to keep his brown low. We were discussing that earlier. Why is it your view that he should hang on to it regardless? Obviously, this is a hypothetical because uh, we hope and believe that the appeal before the Court of Arbitration and Sport will be dismissed. Uh, but as I said, there are a, a whole variety of possible scenarios and some of them are not so good for the Essendon Football Club and its players. So we've got to be prepared for all possibilities. I was essentially expressing a personal view that I'm mm. sure would align with the club view. Uh, we believe that whatever the outcome of this process, the players are the innocent victims. The responsibility, the culpability, if there is any, lies with the club the Brownlow is an individual award and uh, therefore, in my view, just out of common fairness, there should be no question mark over that. Uh, clearly, the club will develop its position if we end up in that situation where we do get an adverse finding from the appeal uh, and that'll be something I'll be part of but I won't be dictating. But just as a personal view as a long-standing Essendon fan, uh, I think... Uh, uh, enough's enough. Like, if the players are to be uh, found to have done the wrong thing, even though I don't believe they did, uh, and punished in whatever way, I don't see why there should be an additional punishment mm. for one player, uh, uh, in this case, Joe Watson. We're talking to Lindsay Tanner, the incoming chairman of the Essendon Football Club. And, Lindsay, you're not the only one who's incoming. Ken Lay, the former police commissioner, chairman of Ambulance Victoria, he's coming in. Terrific acquisition there, as well as Dave Barham, of course, former head of, or head of sport at the 10 Network. But Ken Lay was the number one ticket holder, which poses the important question, given that he's now relinquished <laughs> that spot, who is going to be the number one ticket holder of the Bombers next season? Uh, very good question, and of course I'm a former number one ticket holder, so we got to we got to make sure we keep up the quality of the number one ticket holder. <laughs> up here. And uh, uh, I believe Seb's dad, Peter Costello, was a <laughs> number one ticket holder as well. He was, he was. In fact, he held it for quite a lot longer than me, so I'm still jealous of him. <laughs> <laughs> what about Andrew Bogut, for example? Uh, look, I, I don't want to comment on possibilities, but uh, Andrew Bogut um, is a great man, and he's. I've, seen him I've, I've met him at games in fact i got his autograph for my son who's a, a, a dedicated basketballer so um, uh, he's obviously a, a great asset for Essendon to have guys like him as, as part of our fabric but uh, I might be making a, a personal call on the position it'll be something that'll be done by the board uh, it's great to have Ken Lay on board he's a, a guy who's obviously got a huge amount of experience a lot of wisdom and he'll contribute not just about you know, the obvious areas of his strengths, but I think he's got a tremendous understanding of how Australian society works and how footy fits into it. Well, Lindsay, congratulations on being appointed chairman. We've got 35,000 members already and they've donned the sash for season 2016. Call 1300-GO-BOMBERS to sign up today. We encourage all Essendon supporters to get behind the club and thanks very much for joining us today, Lindsay Tanner. Thanks very much, Lawrence, you open up the Herald Sun today, page three, Monique Hall's got the story and mm. you read through it and you just go... That can't be fair, Income. This is a story about a reindeer. 
Well, Rudolph, not just any not reindeer. A, not just a reindeer. We're, we're calling him a reindeer. He's a deer. Uh, he was adopted by a young man called Andrew Foots and uh, raised in a domestic situation, but he seems to have contravened some laws, uh, some council bylaws. According to the paper, Andrew found Rudolph skinny and alone in bushland near Mansfield. Mm. About a week later, authorities seized the deer and they've since won, the Department of Economic Development, Jobs, Transport and Resources, have won a court order to kill Rudolph, (laughs) believing Rudolph is a danger to public safety. There's photos of Rudolph nestling next to his adopted father, Andrew, (laughs) on the couch, curling up with him in bed and standing haplessly in the laundry, just awaiting another feed. They've won a court order to kill a tiny animal. You know what? That's a great step forward for bureaucracy and government, isn't it? Oh, how about that? And there is a an especially animal shelter. This time of year. Yeah, especially a deer called Rudolph. <laughs> there is an animal shelter who says we'll happily take in Rudolph and raise him, but no, the Department of Economic Development, Jobs, Transport and Resources says that Rudolph's got to go. The reason for killing a deer or putting any un- un- or any animal under these circumstances are difficult to understand. Yes, they are difficult to understand. Let Rudolph live (laughs) for the good of, if not, you know, the Christmas season, then in honour of the song. I mean, he's not a red-nosed reindeer. He's a a black-nosed deer, but I split hairs. Principle applies. Let's swing this puppy around and talk a little bit of Christmas (laughs) with the line of Christmas song that exemplifies the season. Well, tonight, thank God it's there. Thank you, Bono. That's right. A week this Friday is Christmas Day and we all look towards our traditions that we were raised with. And some people have curious Christmas traditions. I was raised by English parents, so we will, regardless of how hot it is, always cook a turkey and the pork and have the whole lashing. Some people go the uh, seafood down at the beach. I discovered that... uh, you don't drink alcohol on Christmas Day, so no. Costello. Your family is a, a dry affair, which is not the Australian tradition. Normally, you get half cut and take a swing at your brother for some crime that he performed in 1975 by, you know, stealing a toy or something. Um, so we want to know today, do you step outside Christmas traditions within your Christmas family celebrations. What Christmas tradition don't you observe? One triple three five three. give us a call. Sarah Fayor, our extraordinary producer, has nominated <laughs> one year at Christmas. Her relative made the family pay $20 a head that right? for Christmas dinner. There was a door charge for Christmas dinner. Now that is not a Christmas tradition. I'm fairly sure it is traditional that if you go to the family Christmas, you don't have to pay for lunch. No. Maybe you're asked to bring along, you know, a cheese platter or can you take care of dessert, but a straight out fee cover charge for Christmas. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. We've got Melbourne Stars memberships to give away because... They're the only team worth watching in the Big Bash. They're valued at one hundred and seventy-five dollars. Renegades fan. I'm, I'm going to come back to that. You and Danny your White. Renegades is yeah. it's it's worrying me. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But what Christmas tradition do you not observe? I just want to get one thing straight, Lawrence Mooney. We're not wowsers in our family. I was I was not pointing the wowser stick at you at all. We're just you know it's all about love. It's all about family. It's all about presence, and we don't necessarily. I just have to rip the top off a tinny to observe the (laughs) traditional day of of giving. Well, also, the consumption of alcohol isn't always just ripping the top off a tinny. It might be removing it. The Mooney household. (laughs) Grandma gets out the beer bong and you guys pass it around. Yeah, we're just, we're down at the local billabong throwing in a line. (laughs) 
<laughs> we're half cut by lunchtime and then just punch on for the rest of it. That's right. That's what we do. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> what Christmas tradition do you not observe? Hello, Hi. Anne. Hi. Hi. No, we actually have Christmas in the park a week the weekend before Christmas. So we just get all the family together, the extended family, and we just let the kids run white. So if there's a fight, so you can just walk off. Yeah, that's good. That's so good. the 18th of December or whatever the weekend is before yeah, Chrissy? We're, yeah, we're having it this weekend, yeah. How did that start? Um, because it was, I don't know, a lot of people were going away for holidays on Christmas and my brothers are in the medical profession. A lot of them had to work Christmas Day, right. so we had it the week before. And uh, so Christmas Day, uh, you just do what you want to do? Yeah, whatever you want to do, just stay home. Rip the... So, Top off a tinny like the Mooney family <laughs> to Croydon and Craig. What Christmas tradition do you not Drawing observe? Drawing us as alcoholics, <laughs> Seb. Well, you had us as abstainers. Hello, Craig. Uh, yes, we no longer have the um, the money in the pudding because um, we used to be able to have flippity bits, but everyone mm. reckons like the 20 cents and the uh, dollars and that are um, not really safe. But also my uh, father used to spit up the money, but the kids would think that he was coughing up the money from the pudding. <laughs> well, presumably you do have to sanitise the coin before you put it in the pudding. Yeah, but the other, but because the other ones, these ones are made of silver, the other ones were, um, you still have to sanitise them, but they're safer apparently than the current coins. Right. Mm, very good. So no more coins in the pudding, and of course, responsible for a couple of cheap teeth across the years. And Thanks. last year we actually abandoned family and we actually went to friends because all the family were doing something else, so that was a bit of a change. Well, Craig, I was about to give you a Melbourne Stars family membership, but if you've abandoned the family, you might not be able to use it. Well, we can this year because we've, um, we're back in the family um, for this year. Just last year, everyone was all over the place. So, oh, yeah. well, that'll do, mate. It's yours. Hang on the line. We'll make sure you get that. Bringing the, stars, the family together this time of year is very important. Because as I have observed, Melbourne Renegade supporters are clothing sniffers. <laughs> <laughs> Lawrence Booney was bequeathed the Renegade's jersey from the lovely Danny Wyatt. And, you and been, I said, I think she's you, worn this in a game. You have been I, I, I was not sniffing. Don't call me a sniffer. It makes me sound like I've been stealing underwear off a line, like I'm some kind of snowdropper. And I turn around and there is a cue to sniff the top with Tim, the hyphen, our panel operator, also going in for a <laughs> Lawrence panel. needed to confirm his theory. Yeah, and I've got to all say, all in the name of science, the the Daddy only... White's biochemistry is outstanding. <laughs> <laughs> Enough with the sniffing. We will be Don't back tomorrow. Call me a sniffer. <laughs> back tomorrow. Triple M Summer Breakfast. From St. Kilda Beach to the MCG to your best mate's barbecue.